You got to go to TikTok, Sri. Wait, Moshe, I want to understand. Does at some point does he make fun of my voice also? And does he do you? Do you do a good Moshe? Welcome to the eighth episode of the Media Jungle video podcast. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down the business behind the creator revolution and the intersection of media and technology. We have tech guru Sri Srinivasan, former chief digital officer of New York City himself, Columbia University, the Met. It's like you invented the title. Now you're a professor and CEO of DigiMentors. And of course, the smartest newsman on Instagram, Moshe Wanunu, former executive producer of, from CBS News, Bloomberg. He's ran news for everyone and now president of Mo Digital. We have a great show for you today. Kim Kardashian and Floyd Mayweather get sued. Kim K and Money Mayweather are getting sued in an alleged pump and dump scheme of the Ethereum Max cryptocurrency. You may remember Ethereum Max as the currency Mayweather was accepting at the boxing match against Logan Paul. The lawsuit says the creators of the coin sold off their shares the day after Kim Kardashian posted this to her 228 million followers. I feel bad. You don't think I feel bad? Then the stock fell 98% to zero point a lot of zeros per share. Mayweather loves money. I like Kim's fight for criminal justice. What the f do they know about crypto? Sri, this... This whole thing sort of looks like a big marketing scheme, like there's nothing really behind it. What, what, what advice would you give to people when they're looking at cryptocurrency and trying to figure out what to buy? Here, we're seeing so many people who uh, have so low expectations of crypto right now and the crypto bros, as they call them, that this kind of news does not help the industry in any way. And so my advice to anybody who is on the crypto side of this is you have to be you're going to be held to a higher standard. So try to live up to that and have as few criminal cases and as few lawsuits as possible in, uh, you know, in, in the in, with your name in, in the headlines. However, I think that it'd be fair to say that the American finance system has a, a lot of problems up and down, including on Wall Street and a lot of people who don't trust the system. And so I think the, the, the more that we can understand about what the potential is here and where we're not suffering from pump and, uh, pump and dump schemes and things like that, the better off we're all going to be. Either way, you probably shouldn't take your financial advice from your favorite influencer or athlete. What's remarkable is that according to one survey, 20% of Kim Kardashian's followers bought some Ethereum Max after that Instagram post. They saw a connection. This is according to a morning consult poll. Obviously not that scientific, but it does show this sort of impact that she can have to her followers. Well, the only only influencer we should believe is Moshe on anything that he talks about on Insta. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I have not yet promoted any specific cryptocurrencies, though. If Money Mayweather wants to connect with me, his people, I'm game. <laughs> Yeah. And we don't know exactly how they like, you know, it may have been just uh, an ad that Kim got, you know, a million dollars for and that's it. 
Who knows? Uh, we'll find out soon. Uh, next topic. TikTok stars make more money than CEOs. Charlie D'Amelio, the 17-year-old who started working less than three years ago, made $17.5 million last year. That's more earnings than the average CEO of S&P 500 companies. Sorry, Darren, Kevin, Ed, and Chris. You spent all your time climbing the corporate ladder. Maybe you should have learned how to dance. What you doing? Yeah, what a story. I was fascinated by it. Let's also be super clear that these are a few people, very few people who are what this article is talking about. It's still better off. You're better off being a CEO of a, of a big company. But the couple of things that jump out at you, those the very top increase their earnings by 200 percent from the last survey that Forbes did. And so many of them have really compelling, interesting stories that they were basically not didn't even have a TikTok account two years ago, three years ago. And now look at where they are. So that's fascinating. Charlie plus six others made about fifty six million dollars um, last year. And so, you know, there are millions of other people creating a lot of TikTok account making zero there. But it does show that handful of these influencers and creators can really build a real business for themselves. By the way, one note is they are making more in salary than the CEOs, but the CEOs do have a lot of stock options. So in terms of net, uh, you know, how much they're worth, I would still take the CEOs and their multi-billion dollar corporations over these creators. At the same time, these creators um, are getting endorsements. They're getting TV deals. There's another TikTok creator named Addison Ray who starred in a Netflix movie this year. There, you know, and, and I think as brands quickly realize that consumers uh, now, uh, you know, jump to whatever the influencers are recommending. We just discussed the Kim Kardashian topic. There's an opportunity for major brands to connect with these influencers that have really broken out. And these influencers hopefully are able to then leverage their value. And so I think it's a, it's a positive thing that this creator economy, at least for now, has created a handful of stars and shown that, you know, you can, you can do pretty well uh, betting on yourself and, and your skill set. I think yeah. it's a important point that you just made that the economy that the creators have made for themselves, like they're in charge. Most of them, unfortunately, won't make it. But the ones that do, it was fascinating. I was in the Meadowlands at, uh, at the Jets game the other day with MetLife Stadium. There's something called a green room, which is where the celebrities hang out. And somehow I was snuck in there. And uh, there were actors and actresses and sports figures of all kinds. But the person that a lot of people keyed in on was somebody whose job I, had, I didn't know this was a person who would do this. She's an influencer on Peloton. That's what that's where she's the influencer. And, and that doesn't mean that everybody there had a Peloton, but apparently, and I didn't know this, Peloton has like an app that people can download even if you don't have the bike or the treadmill. And she's so good at this that everybody wanted her photograph. And I couldn't sense that some of the TV people and the reality folks are like, hey, what about me? Uh, because that was the first time I had seen that. And I was struck by this is where people, if you're good at what you do, if you are, if you engage with the audience and people give you attention, then advertisers and others will also come and follow that attention. There was a time uh, 60 years ago when if you went to an elementary school in America and you asked kids what they want to be when they grow up, they would say astronaut, right? That was the height of the Gemini Apollo programs. You're going to the moon. If you went and I've done this, uh, you know, asked a group of uh, first graders, second graders, middle schoolers what they want to be now, the majority will tell you they want to be a YouTuber, 
Um, they look up to these people. These are the people, the personalities that they follow. And so uh, whether it's YouTuber, TikTok, Peloton, et cetera, there's a completely new group of people that uh, the next generation uh, connects with, uh, is entertained by, is educated by. And, uh, you know, the rest of us have come around to this fact that this is a new reality that a lot of young people have created. I will just add two quick thoughts. One is that India has banned TikTok. That means 150 million accounts just disappeared about two years ago in the last few months or so. Imagine if they come back and what that will do. Or imagine what India is building instead of TikTok. Where do all those people go? A lot of them went to IG Reels, right? So that's one thing. The other is that I myself, as Moshe said, have come around to this. There was this in-between period where there was the blogs and then there was kind of reality television as being the reason people were famous. And there's a line that somebody said there was a time when people were famous for being special. Now they're special for being famous. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the people like the folks most described are doing interesting things, compelling content, entertaining, teaching, communicating, sharing, that there's real value there. They're not just famous for being famous. They're famous for doing something cool in this box. And TikTok gets you, gets that foot in the door. You don't have to be like Kylie Jenner, who's the most highest paid uh, influencer in that survey $590 million she made in 2020, but she grew up in a reality show family. You know, this is kind of a new place where people can actually rise. And we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but TikTok is unique in creating uh, a platform for people to come out of nowhere. Whereas if you look at the top 10 most followed uh, individuals on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, you recognize these people. You know, Obama is a top 10 on Twitter. Uh, the Kardashians take up half of the top 10 on Instagram. Um, these are all, it was basically a uh, opportunity for them to boost their profile on social media. TikTok, if you look at the top 10 on TikTok, uh, a number of them are people you've never heard of before. And it's partially because it's a new platform. Uh, it's partially because it's a new platform that younger folks were able to figure out. But it, it has democratized so far the opportunity to become famous based on you know, whatever you bring to that platform. Moving on, Joe Rogan disrupts legacy media. Joe Rogan gets 11 million viewers per episode. More than the four biggest primetime shows combined. With fame, he's getting a lot more scrutiny over his vaccine comments. But compared to who's up after him, Tucker Carlson, The Five, Ingram Angle, I'd much prefer the guy from Fear Factor. Last week, 270 health experts wrote a letter to Spotify asking the platform to create guidelines for misinformation like the other social media platforms have done. This was after Joe had virologist Robert Malone on the program, a vaccine skeptic who was banned from Twitter. So the question is, should Apple and Spotify be listening to our podcast and setting up guidelines to prevent the spread of false information like the other social media platforms do? Sri, you wrote a column in your newsletter a while back. I wonder what, you, what you're thinking about this now and now that Joe Rogan has gotten so, so powerful. Yeah, thank you for mentioning my newsletter. You know, I'm still waiting to make all my money from Substack, uh, and it's not, not yet happened. But uh, you, you got to go to TikTok, Sri. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll move my Substack to TikTok and Peloton. Don't forget, I got to get on Peloton while writing my Substack. Uh, but seriously, I I'd think, watch that. 
<laughs> like, I'll be keeling over. I'm so out of shape. But I, a couple of things that occur to me is that Joe Rogan, who I remember from Fear Factor, and before that he was on a TV show, a, a sitcom, I remember, and he was just another person. And you love those stories of people who have used their power of their voice and uh, their the way they engage with people to be successful. I, and I give him all the credit. And if he gets $100 million from Spotify, that's great. But the problem is that the kind of people he's brought on, including the people you, rec- you, you mentioned, and a lot of attention goes to Joe Rogan, but these podcasts are skating by. They're killing us. There several of the anti-mask, anti-vax radio personalities who died from COVID-19 were banned from major social platforms, but faced no repercussions on their podcasts. And that's where we need to think about why is it that nobody criticizes anybody beyond Rogan? Rogan gets criticism, but Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of these people are hosting hundreds of podcasts that are spreading lies and disinformation. And now you're in therapy. One of the people who spread that was a big time uh, uh, person on podcasts. So we all have to think about where is it? Why are these podcasts being allowed to go by except for except for Rogan? The one one aspect here that's really complex is that the podcasting world has so many different uh, folks involved in it. There's the hosting services, there's the production companies, um, and then also just technology. You know, we talked about how the legal system hasn't caught up with crypto. The technology hasn't caught up with. I think at some point last year, seventeen hundred new shows were going up every day. Um, and then transcribing those, running an algorithm to try to track down the uh, words, et cetera. That is an infrastructure that isn't there yet. And, you know, we've seen with Facebook and other social media giants that they've been uh, late to the game trying to catch up when it comes to misinformation. Well, the podcasting world is yet another place. And by the way, some of these companies, Apple, Google, are involved in both those worlds. And what's notable is that Google has put together gradually a system on YouTube to take things down. The same system does not yet exist in the audio space, in the Google audio space. So there's a responsibility on the part of the companies uh, to police this. Uh, there's a larger question in, a, you know, in, in the U.S., in the country of the First Amendment, what should be allowed? The policies of Apple and Spotify right now are specific to violence, that if you're advocating violence on a podcast, it goes down. It hasn't quite reached uh, aspects and categories like misinformation. So where is that? What should they allow? And all these companies are so wary of like having to try to police all this stuff. We still see it today. Twitter is still dealing with, do we take down an account? Well, you know, we've decided there's a five, a five uh, violation max. When you hit that fifth violation, why it's five, we don't know. We take you down. And then meanwhile, over at Facebook, they've created kind of a third party Supreme Court, which, you know, does it has the jurisdiction to deem who should be on Facebook. So every company is doing it differently, haphazardly and knows that there's a lot of cost uh, and potential backlash involved in any limits they apply to their platform. And you're absolutely right about the, the, the fact that it's a different world. Like YouTube is one platform, and so they can control the videos. As you said, these are all different things and different platforms, and there isn't one system there. I don't know. Will we get there? Uh, the FCC has no role to play in this because it's online. It's not part of the broadcast infrastructure, even though there are broadcast companies involved in this. 
Sri, do you think that, you know, like what, what someone who disagrees would say is, you know, is muzzling these voices really the answer? Is that actually going to get people to change their views? Like, I understand the criticism of like the most uh, biggest podcaster, who he brings on, etc. But is not letting them have their put out their podcast that maybe a few hundred people listen to, is that... The problem, what's exactly the problem? This is something that we should be discussing. And I will say that uh, the examples that I will look at are the anti-vax podcasters who on their deathbeds said, I did the wrong thing. We're we're now, you know, we count who those are above five fingers now. We're on the second hand. And so when you say it's a few hundred people, how many are we allowed to kill? Like, what is the cutoff? Is it... 20 people that we allowed to kill by what we say, or is it thousands? Like, where is that line? And this is not just about urine therapy or, uh, or, or COVID. It's also about hate. It's also about, uh, about you know, anti-Semitic conversations and things like that. And bringing them all together in here and allowing them to flourish, there is an issue. I don't think it's a First Amendment issue because it's not the government that's doing it. These companies should say, we don't want to our own uh, our own uh, folks like like that's uh, sometimes I feel some governors are trying to kill their own citizens that's what it feels like when it comes to COVID I hope that's not the case with Spotify the more listeners live longer the better off they're going to be you would agree with the uh, you know that with the the letter that 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 Spotify should start figuring out guidelines and should start um, figuring what how how they react to this. At least approach it with sincerity, and they're not going to get it right the first time. And technology will always be ahead of where we want it to be, ideally. So let's and then the law, which Moshe has been talking about, the Congress is not ready, right? We see this every time somebody goes in front of Congress on the tech hearings. Basically, nothing's happened. How many CEOs have we seen dragged by the collar, it seems, and put in one of those video boxes to testify in front of Congress, but no new law has been enacted, no changes have happened. So we're a long way from fixing this problem. This is where the law meets technology, meets politics. You know, you even saw with Rogan. Rogan's like, I'm preparing for a day when Twitter bans me, so I'm going to go over to Getter, you know, the, the new social media platform. Uh, that a lot of folks on the right have turned to. So there will always be another platform, right? There will always be another platform. But when you when you run the largest podcast platform in America, in the world, et cetera, you have a certain level of responsibility. It's gone to that point. So, you know, it's it behooves the authorities, uh, the leaders of these companies, take a look at their policies and see, you know, do they need an update and not wait for Washington, D.C. to come up with something for them. Moving on to a bit lighter subject, uh, Sri's social media tips. Ad Age named you one of the top people to follow. Fast Company named you the creative person of the year. For the young creators out there, there's a lot of advice online. Gary V's telling you, bro, you should, you should be making seven TikToks a day. It'll be massive for your business. I love that guy. But uh, should they be making tons of videos? What's your opinion? Wait, Moshe, I want to understand. Does at some point does he make fun of my voice also? And does he do you? Do you do a good Moshe? No, I'm just uh, doing Gary V this time. The should. podcast is relatively new. He has not done me yet, but I never know what to expect. Three, so, <laughs> so, so I'm a Gary V fan, and I think Gary, what he has done to inspire people is really great. Doesn't mean everybody can do what Gary does and be successful. 
My suggestions on social media are just very, very practical and big picture. So I'll give you the big picture stuff. Just think about building your brand through great content, right? It isn't what we sort of things we've been talking about already. Find out what, what you're doing that's special, that's working, experiment, try new things. That's one of Gary's pieces of advice that keep testing the different platforms. When there's a platform, jump on it, see if it's important to you, see if it works, and then build it, build it out. And in terms of practical things, just be uh, be careful. Like when you know people are saying, "Well, I only need to be on TikTok. I don't need to be, say, on Twitter." A lot of us old journalists and people like that are on Twitter. So think about mixing your social media so that you can uh, relate to the audience that you want to reach. But also keep in mind the olds have some value, and there may be some platforms where they're more likely to find you, contact you, do interviews with you, things like that. I also think that. Uh, paying attention to the quality of the photographs you post, the accuracy, not sharing someone else's content without giving credit. These, all, these are all things that Moshe and Alex and I growing up in the business know to do instinctively, but I think a lot of the younger creators have never been told that, right? Like they live in a remix world, right? In IG, they say, hey, remix this. And that's like one of the commands of IG. So how do you then do the kinds of things we're talking about and make sure you, you really have access the other thing I would say is please, please, please think of social media as a place where you're listening in addition to speaking and broadcasting, because that's also really important. That's a great way to get new ideas, get new sources for things that you want to do, new inspiration, and a way to reach out and help people. Like generosity works so well in social media that sometimes we lose sight of that. I talk about the value of doing being confident on social media, being generous on social media, being transparent on social media. The tools now tell you to announce if you have a partnership, if you're getting even a dollar from somebody, you need to, uh, you need to reveal that so that people can know how to make a judgment call on whether your content is good or good enough or however they look at it. So those are some of the things that I think about all the time. Just to follow up on that, uh, when you say the, you mentioned, um, you mentioned to give credit, right? So do you give credit for the credibility you get about the transparency or you give credit so that the people you mentioned share it or do you give credit for an ethical reason? All, all of the above. I can tell you on a slightly different uh, example, one of the biggest songs in South Asia today was done by a famous producer with two famous star, stars singing and that producer is now being called out by other rock stars who are saying, we introduced you to this young creator and she wrote the song or, you know, did something that then you have you have piggybacked of and blown up in this huge way in South Asia. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people. And that's what you don't want to be in that position. You don't want to be ever accused of of taking someone else's work and benefiting from that. I think there's plenty of room where if you see someone's kernel of an idea and you rework it and work with them and give them credit, then people can go back and follow them. One of the sad things online is how many memes have no a creator, right? There's, you can't tell who the creator was. Imagine if we could go back and find out who created some of these original, like Hall of Fame level memes, like the distracted girlfriend meme, which I love, like all of those, wouldn't it be great? Those people could have a chance at success. We've also seen, as you know very well, that minorities 
often are the ones who uh, create and start trends and uh, they get things going and then white creators come in and kind of piggyback off that. I saw Jimmy Fallon a few months ago brought in some original black dancers who had created TikTok moves that then were done by other folks and those people blow up and nobody who made the originals got that attention. So wouldn't it be great if we could go back and the people who are the genuine creative people get more credit, more money, more resources, and not just the ones who know how to exploit how to be successful. And, and Mosh, your story is so amazing. When I met, met up with you after you left CBS, I think it was about two years ago, less than a thousand followers on Instagram. Now you have almost 200,000 followers in two years. And it's not like you were an Instagram, you know all the tricks and trades of how to do things on Instagram. You just started putting out stories, summarizing the most important news stories, and just put them out for like hundreds of people. And did you ever think this was going to grow as big as it has? No, the, this was a way. So my Instagram account, which is just my first name at M-O-S-H-E-H. Um, I found it as a way to deal with my like quarantine anxiety in March of 2020. Right. Like I'm watching Cuomo briefings, Trump briefings, learning about who Anthony Fauci is. My family is like, what am I supposed to do? Do I need to leave? Do I need to dig a tunnel and, you know, build a bunker? Like, no, 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 no. And I was just trying to uh curate you know reliable information i thought it was a temporary thing i didn't see it as any sort of avenue to anything and then it continued to grow covid never quite went away it started to cover other issues and found that i could have some real impact in a way that even being at cbs where i broadcast to millions of people on you know even in those early days of a couple thousand people following me on instagram that I could put a story out and hear from a nurse in one hospital, hear from a PPE distributor in China who both happen to follow me on Instagram and be able to connect them in that way. So both be able to report reliable information and then actually help people um, uh, translate that into you know real life things. And so I've seen that. I saw that in Afghanistan last summer, too, where. I was putting out maps of the airport and where people are getting through. And I'm hearing from Marines who are trying to get their Marines in California, trying to get their interpreters in Kabul to the right exit. And you could see the real impact you could have. And so that's been really fulfilling. And, you know, we'll we'll see where that goes. How does that improve what you cover by having such a direct connection with your audience? Well, ultimately, I think, you know, this as a journalist is that ultimately you try to cover what's most interesting or what your boss has assigned you to, you know, come up with a new take on something. In the case of reporting news, uh, curating news, reporting original things on social media, uh, what you then hear is directly from the consumer, like, hey, I'm a teacher in Iowa. I've experienced that. Or I'm a teacher in Iowa. And what the New York Times reporting is not accurate. Uh, this is what I'm experiencing. Or, hey, why haven't you covered X issue? You start to hear from a bunch of folks and you're like, that's a good, good question because traditional media in the country hasn't covered X issue, but let me look into this for you. So having that um, direct link and relationship with the consumer, both as a fact check and a uh, check as to what's interesting and what's relevant to them is something that is great on this platform. And we haven't been able to quite figure out on the more traditional media platforms. It's one of those things where if, you know, COVID has been um, so, um, has had such an impact in so many ways, in so many terrible ways, but it also has allowed a, a lot of folks to take a pause and realize what they're passionate about and experiment. And so this has been in the last couple of years have 
uh, enabled me to experiment there and and see what's possible. Thank you so much, Sri Mosh. You can follow Sri at, at Sri on Twitter or follow his newsletter, Mosh, M-O-S-H-E-H on Instagram. Thanks so much. See you next week. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.